Welcome to Eye on Law Enforcement, a podcast that examines law enforcement in the United States through group analysis, news reports, and studies. I am your host, Jacob Rueda. In this episode, we'll discuss public perception of police. We'll examine the effect of such perceptions on economics and the social conscience. Plus, we'll look at how social media and religion perpetuate stereotypes of law enforcement by looking at examples that both fuel and contradict such stereotypes. That's all coming up on this episode of Eye on Law Enforcement. People in the United States are divided about their regard for police. There is support and opposition to police in one form or another. Media reports show the good, the bad, and the ugly side of police activity. Public opinion is expressed differently and in various channels based on media reports and personal experience. When it comes to positive interactions between police and the public, there is no current measurement that quantifies those interactions. However, it does not mean that such interactions don't exist. On July 21, 2021, NYPD officer Ronald Kennedy helped an unidentified stabbing victim by using a bag of potato chips and tape to stop the bleeding, according to this report from CBS New York. Officer Kennedy calmly sprung into action, dumping out the chips before placing the bag on the victim's wound and securing it with tape to create a seal so his lungs would not collapse. We just needed uh, something squared off and that we could tape easily, and we needed something where air couldn't pass through that type of material. In another report from local station WNBC, Kennedy said that he learned the trick during his days as an emergency medical technician. He explained that the material of the chip bag makes it so that the air does not pass through. Placing the bag over the wound and securing it with tape on three sides allowed him to push all the existing air out from the wound. Kennedy's life-saving expertise serves as evidence of positive police interactions in the United States. It shows an officer acting in a benevolent and quick-thinking manner that renders aid, protects property, and saves lives. Just like cases of police officers acting in a life-saving manner, Cases of misconduct by police are well documented, with certain cases being high profile, such as those of George Floyd, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, and others. Whether one supports or opposes police officers in the United States or elsewhere, social media provides a bullhorn for anyone voicing their thoughts on the matter. And like any topic, echo chambers for either side can be formed by users. Delving into platforms like Instagram, Police-friendly profiles not run by any law enforcement agency show police in a perpetually positive light, showcasing them only in their best moments. One such profile on Instagram called at law enforcement does just that. Each post serves as a small tribute to police and the occasional first responder. Recent posts end with a quote saying, stay safe out there and always watch your six, a military expression meaning watch your back, followed by a litany of hashtags. The main profile page says, no haters, with two American flag emojis on each side, followed by back the blue and more emojis, and support NYPD, followed by more emojis. As a result of their no haters policy, at law enforcement does not feature any post or comment that is critical of police. Then there are profiles like that of Ben Crump, the attorney who represented the family of George Floyd, Posts there are critical of police action and usually feature a victim or a police officer in court, followed by a charge statement condemning the officer and the action. Although comments on these posts generally support Crump's viewpoint, some commenters make detailed observations, like about the skin color of the officer and what effect, if any, it had on the judgment made against them. Before delving further into the polarity of social media posts, it helps to understand existing levels of public support for police. There are three levels of support for police. First, there is the basic acknowledgement that police exist and have a difficult but necessary job to do. In this KGW report from Portland, Oregon, this gentleman says he supports what he calls all sides when it comes to people and police. I'm a retired Marine Corps, so I, I support you know all sides here. I, I, I have fought for my country so people can protest and have a purpose, and I also support 
law enforcement and also in the military, clearly. Second, there are those who support police because of a direct connection to law enforcement, whether it is socially, through friends or family, or through employment. In the same news report as before, Vancouver, Washington restaurant owner Charles Bibbins explains why he supports police and talks about signage he painted on the front of his restaurant to show his support for law enforcement. The support for law enforcement was painted months ago around Christmas time. Bibbins' son is a Vancouver police officer. You know, we love those guys. They put their life on the line every day for us and to protect and serve these communities. And uh, the least we can do is, uh, you know, thank them and uh, give them some support. Third, there are those who look at police officers as heroic public servants. However, misconduct of some officers is overlooked, as is demonstrated in this report from the TV news magazine Inside Edition. A jaw-dropping moment at what started as a routine like city council comment. ceremony. These deputy sheriffs were being honored in Tamarack, Florida. Among them, Joshua Gallardo, who was named Deputy of the Month. Deputy of the Month. Gallardo stood proudly holding his certificate in the group photo. But what came next took everyone by surprise. I would like to make a comment. A city commissioner, Mike Gellin, took the microphone and called the deputy back. Uh, Joshua Gallardo. My, my line. Can you come down for a second? Gallardo is completely blindsided by what happens next. You probably don't remember me, but you're the police officer who falsely arrested me four years ago. You lied on the police report. I believe you're a rogue police officer, you're a bad police officer, and you don't deserve to be here. Gallardo's reaction? He gives an awkward thumbs up and walks away. The chamber is stunned into silence. The mayor quickly takes the mic. We appreciate, as a whole, BSO and everything that you do for us. The commissioner and the cop first encountered each other in 2015 when police were called to break up a fight. The commissioner, who had not yet been elected to public office, was videotaping the fight and ended up being charged with resisting arrest. The charges were dropped when video established he had done nothing wrong. According to a September 28, 2019 New York Times article, after the incident with Deputy Joshua Gallardo, Councilman Mike Gellin was reprimanded by Tamarack, Florida Mayor Michelle Gomez for his conduct during the ceremony with the deputies. She called his actions, quote, highly inappropriate and said Gellin should have followed proper channels to air his grievances. The Broward Sheriff's Office Deputies Association called Gellin's actions, quote, an insult to law enforcement. To date, Gallardo has no recorded reprimand for falsifying a police report, and there is no record or report of an investigation into the matter. says he's still processing being called a hero. Amazing video of that hero officer. The video that you're about to see looks quite like the work of a superhero. A police officer from Connecticut is being hailed a hero. As a hero police officer. Died a hero. He died a hero. 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 A label often attached to first responders like police and firefighters is hero. Merriam-Webster's online dictionary defines the word hero as a person who is admired for great or brave acts or fine qualities. Police, along with firefighters, paramedics, and other first responders, enter into extremely dangerous situations which they are especially trained to handle. Media reports describe moments when first responders go into a chaotic scene and do the job of controlling the situation and saving lives as heroic. There are also routine and unheroic tasks that first responders have to do, like typing out reports, attending meetings, and specifically for police, occasionally driving for hours not seeing or reporting any criminal activity. Despite some of the more mundane aspects of the profession, why is it still considered heroic to be a police officer? To find out, it is perhaps best to examine heroism itself. 
Dr. Scott Labarge, an associate professor of philosophy at the Santa Clara University College of Arts and Sciences in California, posted an article about heroism called Why Heroes Are Important. He writes that the concept of the hero comes from the ancient Greeks. Labarge writes that the term is used to describe someone, quote, who had done something so far beyond the normal scope of human experience that he left an immortal memory behind him when he died, and thus received worship like that due of the gods. As examples of heroism, Labarge uses Hercules, Asclepius, and Dionysius from Greek mythology because they supposedly did things beyond what mere mortals have done in their lifetime. For example, Hercules killed monsters and Asclepius was a hero god of medicine and considered the first medical doctor. Labarge also writes that individuals who committed heinous acts were also considered heroes. Medea is considered a hero despite the terrible things she did. After her husband Jason leaves her for another woman, she kills the other woman and her father the king. She then kills her own sons that she had with Jason in revenge and goes off to marry King Aegis. Medea's heroic qualities likely come from standing up for herself. However, in the process of standing up for herself, she kills people, including her own sons, who had nothing to do with their father's betrayal. Oedipus is another heroic example mentioned by Labarge. On his way to the city of Thebes to fulfill a prophecy, Oedipus killed a man named Laius, who unbeknown to him was the king of Thebes and his father. Once he arrived in the city, he saved the city by answering the riddle of the Sphinx. He then married its widowed queen who, unbeknown to him again, was his mother. A plague hit the city and Oedipus needed to know who killed the city's king. When he learned it was he who killed him and that he had married his own mother, he blinded himself by sticking two pins from his mother's dress into his eyes. After finding out she had married her own son, the queen killed herself. Oedipus saved the city held captive by the Sphinx, but he killed his father and married his mother in the process and therefore brought a plague unto his city. The one thing that Labarge notes in his article is the equation of heroism and morality. In other words, to be heroic is to be moral. That topic will be discussed later on. A hero or heroism itself is lauded and the concept is projected upon those who one admires, even for figures like Medea and Oedipus, whose acts are not in line with what most people consider as moral or righteous. In American society, athletes and entertainers are considered heroes. Social justice pioneers like Rosa Parks are also considered heroes, though perhaps to a different extent than athletes and entertainers are. Heroes in today's society are also used for marketing purposes. The public is sold on heroism daily through advertisements, social media, etc. The 1965 image of Rosa Parks sitting in the front part of a bus protesting racial segregation in Alabama was used by Apple computers as part of their Think Different campaign in 2005. When it comes to police, everything from the symbols they use to their image as symbols of heroism is equally marketable. Online retailers like Amazon sell law enforcement themed merchandise. Equally, social media profiles like at SixLineWarrior on Instagram, another profile not run by any police or other law enforcement agency, has a link on their bio where people can buy merchandise like police-themed shirts with slogans on them and Halloween costumes. And if it isn't police-themed merchandise, it's actual law enforcement equipment. Integrated Business Information System, which is the largest industry information publisher in the world, released a report which was last updated March 2021, saying the market size for tactical and service clothing manufacturing in the U.S. was valued at almost $750 million for 2022. It was expected to increase another 2.5% in 2022. Along with that, a report from Small Arms Analytics, a research firm based in the U.S. and Canada focusing on small global arms and ammunition sales, says 2021 gun sales in the United States closed out at nearly 20 million firearms sold. What's the connection between sales of tactical gear and police heroism? A Vice article from April 2021 says individuals fueled by an ideology of always be ready, along with those who espouse extremist views and people who want to be like police, make up a considerable portion of those who purchase tactical gear and firearms. According to the article, 57% of sales from a tactical 
tactical gear company called 5.11 are from military and law enforcement. About 1% comes from government contracts and the rest are regular consumers, which is about 42% of sales. That means just under half of their sales are from non-police consumers buying police equipment. Finally, the market for police and law enforcement equipment was valued at almost $3.5 billion by the end of 2021, with an expected increase to almost $7 billion by 2030, according to a company called Verified Market Research. NPR's Jacqueline Diaz spoke to representatives from four body armor companies for a June 2022 article. She found that more people are buying and wearing tactical gear than before. According to her findings, the retailer she spoke to said people are wearing more body armor not only because they want to buy something that goes with the weapon they own, but also to wear on a day-to-day -day basis as regular clothing. Upon closer inspection, images of the January 6th Capitol insurrection show people who infiltrated the Capitol wearing tactical gear, including body armor. Unless they were wearing fuzzy headgear with horns or their work clothes, People were documented wearing military-grade tactical gear, which is also used by police SWAT teams, and carrying military-style weaponry. Capital insurrectionist Eric Munchell was photographed jumping over a railing and holding zip ties, which are used by police in place of handcuffs. He was also photographed wearing camouflage gear, gloves, a hat with an American flag superimposed with a gun, and a tactical vest. Munchell's mother was also photographed standing behind him while he was busy playing soldier. To keep playing LaBarge's point about heroism, people like Al Capone and the character of Tony Montana played by Al Pacino in the movie Scarface were also considered heroes despite committing heinous acts and being responsible for a lot of death, both directly and indirectly. Capone and Montana also have a fair share of merchandise with their face on it available for sale through in-store and online retailers. Despite their heroic status in the present day, Capone was in and out of jail constantly and had a slew of health problems, including syphilis and mental health issues due to his fast lifestyle. He died from heart failure at the age of 48 in 1947. The character of Tony Montana was gunned down during a rant from a balcony and fell into an indoor swimming pool by the movie's end. Ironically, as the camera pans away from Montana's dead body floating in a pool now filled with his own blood, a neon sign over that pool is shown saying, the world is yours. But regardless of whether it's Al Capone or Rosa Parks, Labarge writes that people need heroes because they quote, help define the limits of our aspirations. He also writes that people define their ideals by those whom they choose as heroes, and that heroes serve as symbols for qualities and ambitions people wish they could have. Police, as symbols of honor, courage, and morality, are looked upon highly, perhaps with the intent that those who honor them will reflect that symbolism unto themselves, according to Labarge. Someone who challenged the idea of calling police heroes was radio personality and author Tom Hartman who wrote in 2014 that the regard for police as heroes came after 9-11. The attack on the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, was the single deadliest act of terrorism in the United States, according to the National Fire Protection Association. The Officer Down Memorial page, a website dedicated to the memory of fallen police officers, says a total of 71 police officers died at the site of the World Trade Center on that day. The website also says that more police officers died throughout the years as a result of illness related to the attack. The events of 9-11 had far-reaching consequences in just about every aspect of life, especially in the United States. The risk that New York City police, firefighters, and other first responders took in helping people to evacuate or to help those who were injured has not gone unrecognized. However, according to Hartman, that recognition to duty and responsibility was blanketed to every single police officer and firefighter, regardless of where they were in the U.S. and what they were doing on or after 9-11. In that 2014 article from Hartman's website called We Need to Stop Worshipping Cops, he writes that people were perhaps too quick to stick the hero label on police after 9-11 without any thought or discussion of what the effects of that might be. 
At the time Hartman wrote his article, Michael Brown and Eric Garner were both killed by police. Hartman argues that while it is awful, death is part of the equation of being a police officer and everything possible must be done to make death as rare as possible. But Hartman points out that the deaths of Brown and Garner at the time were more than just a part of the equation. He writes that such deliberate killings are a sign that, quote, the system is broken. Recalling Dr. Scott LaBarge's heroism article from earlier, a person who admires or idolizes a hero wishfully reflects the qualities of heroism unto themselves. And as people equate heroism with morality per LaBarge, a person may see themselves as moral for supporting police as heroes, though police are not specifically mentioned in LaBarge's article. Different questions surrounding morality exist despite fixed ideals shaped during one's formative years. Philip Patterson and Lee Wilkins touch on morality in their book Media Ethics, Issues, and Cases. First, they make the distinction between morals and ethics. They write that ethics, quote, is a rational process founded on certain agreed-on principles. Those agreed-on principles are formed from morals which are derived from religions like Christianity and Judaism. Patterson and Wilkins use the Ten Commandments, the Talmud, and the Buddhist Eightfold Path as examples from where morals in society are derived from. Patterson and Wilkins write that ethics come about from where there is a conflict in morality. For example, if morality says stealing is wrong based on some principle or dogma, and a society exists where there is theft, the situation creates a moral conflict. From there, a law is derived from that conflict that says, don't steal. Ethics come into play when it is decided that in order to be in harmony with society, nature, or a deity, then one does not steal. It then becomes ethical not to steal. In a July 2014 article from Psychology Today, Dr. Jennifer Baker addresses the issue of police as moral authority. She uses an incident where Arizona State University professor Ursula Orr was arrested for jaywalking in 2014 by campus police officer Stuart Farron as an example. Farron, who is white and was 25 at the time, was shown in the police dash cam grabbing Orr, who was black and 33 at the time, and slamming her to the ground after she failed to comply with police orders. Here is part of the exchange between Orr and Farron at the start of the video. Ma'am, no, I'm asking you for your license because. Ma'am, I'm asking you. Ma'am, let me see your ID. The reason you're being contacted is for obstruction of a public thoroughfare. That's okay. the reason why I'm being, I'm that is being the re contacted? The reason I'm talking to you right now is because you're walking in the middle of the street. But That's a called obstruction of a public I thoroughfare. Hear you. I hear okay? you. I hear you. So you're now not, let me see your you're ID. Not, you're not listening to, you're not listening to me. Let me see your ID. Is there any way you can actually step in? Because I think this is an incredible injustice. Okay. The simple fact that I just simply asked him, do you're you not have talking to him. You're not talking to him. You're talking to me. Okay, I'm I am, both of I am the police officer. You're roll up the window He's not a police officer. I don't know who he is. He's not a police officer. Let me see your ID or you will be arrested for failing to provide ID. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. That is the law. If you don't understand the law, I'm explaining the law to you right now. You're walking down the middle of a road, which is a public thoroughfare. Which I had okay? no problem with abiding by the law. But okay. what all of somebody asked you was, Let me do see you have your to ID. speak to me in such a disrespectful manner? Ma'am, I'm not being that's disrespectful. That's all I asked you. No, I'm that's exactly what you did. That's exactly what you did. Listen. And that's all I asked you to acknowledge. I'm not being it. disrespectful to you. I didn't say anything about me doing something wrong. I didn't the two of them go back and forth for a while before the situation escalates. In the end, Orr pled guilty to resisting arrest, although according to an Arizona Central News article, she questioned the way she was treated. Farron, on the other hand, told local station KNXV that he stood by his actions. Some people want to pull this into, I'm a white officer, she's a black female. Well, I just did an interview with Telemundo. I speak Spanish. I, I lived as a minority in, in a South America. Um, race has nothing to do with this. It's, it, it's the law. Farron says he was just doing what he was trained to do and will fight to keep his job. Baker writes that Farron was ignorant of the law he tried to enforce on Orr when he arrested her. She also writes that not showing ID is not a cause for arrest in Arizona. However, Arizona law states under Title 28, Chapter 5, Article 4, Section 28-1595, Subsection C, that a person can be arrested for not showing ID. In Title 28, Chapter 3, Article 10, Section 28-791, 
does say that pedestrians must also follow all traffic laws. In her article, Baker fails to provide evidence that Farron was ignorant of the law. In the dashcam video, Farron tells Orr what the law is. However, not all officers have to necessarily be clear on the technicality of law all the time. In 2014, the Supreme Court ruled 8-1 in Hyen v. North Carolina that police officers don't have to know the law in order to enforce it. The case involved a traffic stop and the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution to justify such a stop. Justice Roberts wrote in his opinion, The Fourth Amendment prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. Under this standard, a search or seizure may be permissible even though the justification for the action includes a reasonable factual mistake. He continues, In this case, an officer stopped the vehicle because one of its two brake lights was out, but a court later determined that a single working brake light was all that the law required. The question presented is whether such a mistake of law can nonetheless give rise to the reasonable suspicion necessary to uphold the seizure under the Fourth Amendment. We hold that it can. Because the officer's mistake about the brake light law was reasonable, the stop in this case was lawful under the Fourth Amendment. Justice Kagan concurred, writing in his opinion, quote, an officer's subjective understanding is irrelevant. Justice Sotomayor was the only dissenting vote, writing in her opinion, I would hold that determining whether a search or seizure is reasonable requires evaluating an officer's understanding of the facts against the actual state of the law. I would accordingly reverse the judgment of the North Carolina Supreme Court, and I respectfully dissent from the court's contrary holding. Going back to Baker's article, she wrote that Farron's actions toward Orr were unwarranted despite Arizona State University's statement that Farron did nothing wrong. She found it contradictory to the school's, quote, liberal arts stand which they partake in. Baker then asks what is ultimately right about Farron's actions. She wrote that it can't be because Farron was looking out for Orr or her safety. It also can't be for the sake of those on the road who might accidentally hit her. Baker goes on to write, if it is a type of moral authority they think they have, it can't be the same type they get when taking down someone who just harmed someone else. In other words, Baker says there appear to be alternating standards for applying one type of moral authority over another in different situations when it comes to police. The moral authority applied when taking down a mobster can't be the same as when someone is pulled over for speeding, according to Baker. She continues, I wonder why a moral authority would enforce laws someone else authored. No moral authority thinks laws are always right. When a law is written, its justification is almost never questioned by those tasked with enforcing it, in Baker's viewpoint. Ultimately, Baker argues that police as supposed moral authority cannot be so blind as to whimsically enforce laws it does not know. She asks who the police at ASU think they are to brazenly treat people so violently if they are supposed to be upholders of morality. Conversely, Orr does chatter a lot before getting arrested and doesn't comply when asked to show her ID, preferring instead to argue about how she's being spoken to and how she always follows the law despite being caught jaywalking. Further along in the video, she uses the other people do it and they don't get arrested so why am I argument in the course of her detainment to talk herself out of being detained. Also, during her court appearance, she admitted kicking Farron, according to the Arizona Central article. Farron, on the other hand, did say in the video that he would slam her if she continued to resist arrest, so Orr knew beforehand the consequences of her actions. In the end, Farron was technically within his legal right to detain and use force on Orr, especially if she was suspected of not following the law. The issue of its morality, at least in Baker's viewpoint, remains questioned. While some commenters on social media go overboard with their praise for police, they are not the only ones who offer up such apparent idolization. Pastor Brad D. Schaff is a minister for the deaf at the Pinedale Christian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He has a YouTube channel where he preaches his sermons with the help of a voice interpreter because Schaff himself is deaf. In one of his sermons titled, Police Officers Are God's Servants, 
He uses biblical scripture to support this claim, citing from St. Paul's letters to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 3 and 4 from the New International Version of the Christian Bible. It says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. It is true that there are few policemen who are bad. Are we focusing on them? No. We are focusing on who Paul is writing to, who he means right now. He is talking about the Roman authorities. Schaff projects what St. Paul wrote on modern police officers to give it relevancy in today's times. That projection melds the idea of police being supposed representatives of God. Unfortunately, Schaff's failure to address police accountability in his sermon leaves people to find out for themselves how fallible some police are. As a supposed representative of God, one wonders what was going through the mind of former Leechburg, Pennsylvania Police Chief Michael Diebold based on this January 2018 report from local station KDKA. The Attorney General's office was operating a sting against Chief Diebold for months. They say he was sending sexual messages and suggestive photos under the name Cute Cop For You. He believed he was communicating with a 14-year-old girl. We spoke with the Attorney General on the phone tonight. Understand that this man, this police chief, was going there to that location with some hope of having a sexual relationship with a minor. We've been telling you about Mike Diebold ever since his arm was blown off in a fireworks accident last June. The public rallied around him, raising thousands for his medical expenses. Diebold even invited our camera to his wedding and showed off his baby boy. Folks in Leechburg are taking the news hard. He was such a good man. He did good things for the city of Leechburg. And after his accident, everybody was all behind him. It's sort of incredible uh, to hear that. And I would hope that uh, it's not true. At Diebold's home Friday night, the Christmas lights shine through the trees. But earlier in the day, agents from the AG's office raided the home and collected possible evidence. The attorney general says Diebold violated the public's trust. That is a despicable act for anyone, and it's outrageous conduct for a police chief. Reflecting on what has just been heard about Michael Diebold, the message from Schaff appears to be, don't focus on bad police like Diebold. They are not God's servants. Good police who catch bad guys and play with kids are the ones who should be focused on. They are God's servants. Philosopher and writer Daniel Dennett decries this kind of lackadaisical thinking where the acceptance of simple explanation prevents critical analysis of situations. He elaborates on that in this undated interview with Bill Moyers where he talks about why some belief systems compete with each other over who is right and who is wrong about their beliefs. The really dangerous thing about religion, and this is not everybody, of course, it's, it, it's not half, thank goodness, but it's many, and that is the one thing that I think is really dangerous in many religions is that it gives people a gold-plated excuse to stop thinking. To stop thinking. To stop thinking. To say, I don't have to think about that because my religion says this is right, this is wrong, it's as clear as that, it's black and white, I don't have to think about this anymore. It's just a matter of faith. And this, and we honor that. We say, oh, it's a matter of faith. I think we have to stop honoring people for stopping thinking. Other Christian pastors offer a different view than Schaff's. Wendell Griffin, a judge in Arkansas currently serving in the Pulaski County Sixth Circuit Court, is also a pastor at the New Millennium Church in Little Rock. Unlike Schaff, Griffin is critical of the idolization of police. He says in a video blog on his YouTube channel that police merit being respected, not worshipped. He explains his position by citing Tennessee v. Garner, a 1985 Supreme Court case that decided police may not use deadly force in pursuit of a suspect unless there is probable cause to do so. Police basically have become a jury unto themselves. They can basically judge their own use of force. If we want to change excessive and abusive law enforcement, we're going to have to change that fact. 
We have to stop idolizing the police. We have to stop venerating the police. We have to stop basically treating the police as demigods. They deserve our respect. They do not deserve our worship. And because they do not deserve our worship, we should not hesitate to criticize, correct, and condemn them when they violate freedom, justice, and humanity. Just like worshipping police, as Judge Griffin sees it, does not tell the whole story, neither does constantly vilifying police. Going back to social media, on December 2nd, 2022, George Floyd family attorney Ben Crump posts another scathing message about police on Instagram. The post shows an image of the front page of a website called MappingPoliceViolence.us. The website claims to be the quote, official mapping police violence database. The front page shows a red banner saying how many people were killed by police in 2022, followed by an ominous looking map of the United States in a black background with red locators for every incident of quote, police violence, followed by a statistic on the percentage of black people killed by police in 2022. The site itself offers detailed statistical information on everything from shootings to incidents of police violence. The information is limited to reporting only in the United States. Although the site reports unsettling data about the use of force by police in the country, crucial information, like whether a particular incident was instigated by an individual or by police, is not present in the findings. It also does not say how many incidents of police violence involved an individual with a warrant for their arrest or whether they had a history of violence themselves. The data from the Mapping Police Violence website does not show how many shootings where an officer killed a suspect were or were not ruled as justified. It provides a breakdown of what racial groups are most affected by police violence, but it does not provide a racial breakdown among the police officers involved in the incidents. The issue of racism in police is a hotly debated topic which, organizations like the ACLU say, is historically consistent. By contrast, black police officers made up the second largest ethnic group among police forces in the United States in 2020, according to information from Data USA. With regard to shooting incidents, an October 2022 report from the Fraternal Order of Police says that from January to September, 252 law enforcement officers were shot in the line of duty. Of those, roughly 50 were killed by gunfire. With regard to ambush-style attacks, a December 2017 report from the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services says over half of attacks between 2010 and 2016 took place when officers were not engaged in any type of law enforcement activity. They were doing ordinary things like eating or just sitting where they were. In five cases, the officers were targeted while at home or on their way home. At face value, the information on the site projects the idea that police officers kill people at will. Because of the lack of context and comprehensive data, the site demonstrates an anti-police bias. However, part of that lack of comprehensive data is due to what information law enforcement agencies provide to the FBI's Use of Force Data Collection Program, which the Managing Police Violence website says it collects from. They accuse law enforcement of failing to provide, quote, even the most basic information about the lives they have taken. Some of the information requested for the data collection program includes obvious things like date, time, and location of incidents. It also includes, but is not limited to, whether or not an incident was an ambush, if a subject threatened officers, if the subject resisted and how they resisted, whether or not the subject suffered from impairment of any kind, and information about the officer's status, such as whether they were on duty or not at the time of the incident, whether they were injured or not, etc. The Managing Police Violence website says the use of force data collection program is in danger of being shut down due to low participation levels. According to this February 2022 report from Newsy, there's more to the situation than the public is aware of. There's never been a consistent nationwide count provided by law enforcement. But Levine says this lack of data by law enforcement is not as simple as police refusing to participate. 
roughly 18,000 independent law enforcement agencies in this country, all operating with their own databases and their own staff, which means that the vast majority of law enforcement agencies are very small and are not well staffed. Nancy Levine, the person speaking in the interview, is from the Council of Criminal Justice Task Force on Policing. She lists other reasons for why the information doesn't get to the FBI, like police agencies using antiquated computer systems and networks that don't connect with modernized networks. It's important to note that participation in the data collection program is voluntary, and the FBI says it encourages departments to participate. On its website, the International Association of Chiefs of Police says it supports participation in the data collection program. But despite this reality, Ben Crump's Instagram post does not provide context to what is presented, and as it was mentioned earlier, simply gives the impression that police kill people, especially black people, randomly and at will. Responses to the post were as emotionally charged as the post itself, condemning police, citing conspiracy theories, but never questioning or challenging the information or the intent of the post. Instead, it is read at face value without any critical thought by people who have already made their minds up about police. Another thing to note about Ben Crump's profile is that unlike at law enforcement, the police-friendly profile on Instagram, is that there is no disclaimer dictating what users are allowed to say on posts. Like it was mentioned earlier, users on those profiles have already made up their minds about police. Hence, whatever narrative is in place on the profile is maintained on its own by those users. Profiles like at law enforcement, which generally gush over police, and Ben Crump's, which shows a general disdain for police, are the aforementioned echo chambers formed by a combination of willfulness and a lack of critical information and context. But beyond social media, physical violence against police has been more prevalent after high-profile incidents of police brutality. In 2020, Protests in Portland, Oregon in response to those high-profile incidents turned violent due to clashes with police and counter-protesters. In Utah, a protest in Salt Lake City got so violent that at the time, Governor Gary Herbert called up the National Guard to quell the violence. And although the protests have ended, anti-police sentiment has not. Aggression against police went from being physical to being more casual and subtle. An LAPD officer and his partner experienced this firsthand during the Hollywood Christmas Parade in 2021, according to this report from local station KTTV. Officer Eric Molinato, a 26-year veteran of LAPD, still shaken over what happened to him and his partner during their lunch break after the parade, eating a burger here at this Veggie Grill fast food restaurant on Sunset. That's when he noticed something written on the paper wrapping of his burger. Just like... A happy face and then it's somebody had handwritten ACAB so I showed my partner and we both were like kind of shocked and because that, that to us means all cops are bastards according to officer Molinedo he and his partner along with the restaurant manager confronted the employee they received an even colder reception in person my partner asked him why would you write something like that and he's all well I hate that police he said you guys are racist I threw it in the trash and started walking back toward the kitchen and then flipped us off with his middle finger um, right in front of the manager uh, and i was kind of shocked that the manager let him continue to prepare food the employee was let go but it left molinedo and his partner afraid to go out to eat deciding instead to bring food from home this kind of retaliation against police predates the riots of 2020. a similar incident took place in 2017 when an officer stopped by a pizzeria in Torrance, California for lunch. After they finished, they got a receipt back that said, fuck the cops. Although these incidents compare differently to direct assaults and ambushes against police, their impact on them is not diminished. And for those who clamor for police reform, the chances for it lessens every time police get called names, get defunded, are hated, or are killed. Police and their image have received a polarizing response in the United States in a manner that ignores issues within and outside of the profession. Outside of personal experiences, the public is informed of incidents involving police through mainstream channels like newspapers and news reports from television, radio, or online. 
Then there are social media profiles not run by any reputable outlet which, as has been discovered, filter or omit information, whether by circumstance or by design. Speaking of social media, agencies like the NYPD actually follow police-friendly profiles like at law enforcement on Instagram specifically, which adds to the narrative already being played out on those platforms. After social media is religion, Christianity in particular, which shapes perceptions of police in a way social and mainstream media does not. Its reach and approach is different, claiming law enforcement to be divinely sanctioned. And just like echo chambers on social media, a narrative is formed that fails to acknowledge the flaws and harsh realities in policing and police officers. Despite that, some religious leaders don't see it the way others do. Those leaders have a more pragmatic view than others who impose their whims and fancies onto police officers. Regardless, the views formed from such exposure created not just a market to profit from those views, but also entire movements whose aim is to push their view forward, sometimes at terrible costs. Likewise, the selective nature of information on social media and websites has a profound effect on perception. Comprehensive data can only be obtained not only when it is provided, but when the avenues necessary for the delivery of that data are unencumbered and regularly maintained. Speaking strictly of law enforcement, there are, as they say, good and bad apples in every bunch. There are officers like Ronald Kennedy from earlier who saved the life of a stabbing victim through his own ingenuity in 2021. Then there are officers like Thomas Driver, David Moran, and Charles Newcomb, three white Florida correctional officers and members of the Ku Klux Klan who set out to kill a black inmate when he got out of prison in 2015. There are also officers like Christopher Dorner, a black police officer who went on a rampage after becoming mentally unstable and killed four people, including the daughter of a police chief, her fiancé, and two police officers in 2013. There's officers like Michael K. Neal, a wildlife officer who took down two self-proclaimed sovereign citizens who killed two West Memphis, Arkansas police officers during a traffic stop in 2010. These examples show that there are different kinds of police officers, some better and others worse. They are also examples of what people on the police love-hate spectrum fail to recognize when they are too deep into their own conclusions about what law enforcement is capable of. And while social media presents one form of appreciation, however flattering and extreme at times, outside examples show people appreciating police in more subtle ways, like what Domino's pizza worker Ashley Calvert did for Kenton County Police Officer Paul Romer in this report from local station WCPO in Cincinnati, Ohio. If it makes your day, it makes your day. She told her husband recently she was buying lunch for the next police officer she saw. I can take the five seconds to face for somebody else's food and it sounded like he was just on a call too. It was halfway through my shift. It was just a busy shift and just hungry. Lunchtime. He was trying to tell me that it wasn't necessary. I'm like, it's okay. Have a nice day. And I was like, oh, it's not necessary. I appreciate the gesture, but it's really not necessary. And she was insistent. Calvert, who initially did not wish to be interviewed, says in the report she didn't do it for the recognition and that she comes from a law enforcement family. It was Officer Romer who posted Albert's gesture on social media, which is how word got out about it. In another turn, one man's resentment over police quickly disappeared in a moment of danger, as Uniontown, Pennsylvania resident Dylan McLee experienced in this July 2020 report from CBS News. After a police car was in an accident and the life of the officer inside was in danger, McLee, who was wrongfully accused of pointing a gun at a police officer, decided to act. I don't know how I got that door open, and I grabbed him out. All of a sudden, the door just gets ripped open. Jay Hanley is the officer Dalen rescued. It's amazing when there's true love in people and they can get you out of something like that, no matter who you are or where you've come from. There should be more people like that. And certainly, if there were more people like that, Look better. there'd be more moments like this. Finally get to see you, man. I appreciate yeah, it. Good, man. God Thank bless you, so you much, man. Thank you. Last week, Dalen came over to check on Officer Hanley and meet his very thankful wife. Yeah, she's been dying for the dog. so much. He's a good man, I could tell. That's the other thing they're grateful for. Despite all his run-ins with the law, Dalen still believes there are a lot of good cops worth keeping. No, we're waiting for you to get back out there. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. In his report, Steve Hartman says that when people feel angry at a group like police, there are a lot of generalizations made toward that group. He also says McLee believes people should go back and find their own humanity by examining the good and bad in everyone. 
And while that level of self-reflection is unlikely to happen in most people, McLee's experience shows that individuals can still have grievances toward police, but that it does not take away from either of their humanity, personal experiences and public perception notwithstanding. We've looked at how social media and religion amplify certain perspectives towards law enforcement. We've examined the psychology behind police idolization and how anti-police sentiment is fueled in part by a lack of accurate information. We've looked at the genesis of police idolization, how it has been used for commercial gain, and how historical events shape perspectives on police. And finally, we've looked at how the concepts of heroism and morality shape the idea people have about police and how those ideas are internalized within individuals. People in law enforcement are well aware of how they are seen, whether it's good, bad, or down the middle. They are also aware of the limitations and problems within their profession and what needs to be done to correct them. Finally, they know that not everyone in their profession thinks and acts the same. Regardless of the source, whether it's the news, church, or a neighbor, perceptions of police change the more information is gathered and becomes available. So with that said, here are some additional discussion points. How do depictions of law enforcement on social media or religion affect police accountability? How can the topic of law enforcement's role in society be discussed without exaggerating its successes or failures? And finally, what could be some of the long-term effects of feeding into one-sided views on police, whether those effects are social, psychological, or economic? This is the first episode of Eye on Law Enforcement in a long time. Following the last episode on police and COVID-19, I intended to produce the episode you just heard. Due to an employment limitation, I was not able to produce new episodes. Since I have voluntarily left that employment, I can now produce this podcast again with pleasure. The first two episodes were taken down as a result of that employment limitation, but they will be put back up in the near future. For now, I hope that you will stay for more episodes of this series. That is all for this edition of Eye on Law Enforcement. Production, music, writing, and narration of this episode was by me, Jacob Rueda. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join me for future editions of this podcast. Until then, be well and take care.